I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 4. Solomon has been giving counsel to his primary audience, and that is young people, his sons, there to hear and to heed the teaching that he gives. Verse 8 of chapter 1, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. In that same vein of fatherly encouragement of his sons to hear his word, we read in chapter 4, beginning in verse 20 and going to the end of the chapter, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away a deceitful mouth and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Let's pray. Our Father, what, what somber words are these? Words from a loving Father to His sons. Word from a gracious God to His children. And We pray that You would give us ears to hear. Even as the Lord Jesus said, Let him who has ears to hear, hear. And we pray that You would grant us those ears this morning. And Lord, we've been reminded that the Lord Jesus walks amongst His candlesticks, that He is here with us. In this very hour, wherever a handful of people are gathered together in His name, there He promises to be. And we pray that He would have His gracious way with each one of us here this morning, that we would hear the Word of God coming from the mouth of a mere man, even the Word of God itself. And so help us to hear what is being taught. Help us to move our feet in light of what we hear. Help us to be a bright and shining light. Indeed, you have placed us in this church. You have placed this church in this city, that we are to be a city, as it were, set upon a hill, a light. We pray that our little candlestick here, though it flickers, you would breathe upon it and and fan it to a flame, that we might be a powerful and bright testimony to Jesus Christ as a body and as each, as individual members of this body. So help us to hear the voice of the shepherd speaking even to us this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that are visiting, especially for the first time, we engaged in a series of studies from the book of Proverbs. And this morning we're coming to the second message of a very prominent theme. And if you got the email, Earlier this week, to do your reading in preparation for this message, you should be ready to hear and anticipating 
what is going to be said from the pulpit this morning. And what we're going to be considering again is avoiding temptation to sexual sin. Last time we considered a father's duty to warn his son, and this morning we consider a son's duty to heed his father's warning. Last time we saw that a loving father has a duty to urgently warn his son to avoid sexual sin. We saw the biblical authority that enforces a faithful father's warning, the many biblical examples and personal experiences that come from a father to reinforce their father's warning. And then we saw the pressing practical purpose promoting a, father's, a faithful father's warning. That your children's health and their, their happiness, their holiness, their wholeness, their well-being depends upon heeding your instructions upon this most important subject. Now this morning we come to consider a wise son's duty to humbly receive his loving father's warnings. Now it has been said that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And certainly this maxim applies when addressing some controversial or delicate subjects. And we began such a subject last Lord's Day. We've been warming up to it. We've arrived at it. But I trust that we are not fools, but we're simply seeking to be faithful to Scripture on this leading subject from the book of Proverbs. We return to conclude it today. For Christians who know and believe their Bible... The subject of sexual sin, though delicate, is not controversial. But biblical morality and sexual purity in particular is controversial to those who have consciences that have been numb and callous through constant exposure in our sexualized culture to this sin. Those who delight in sin will ever chafe against the clear teaching of the infallible and authoritative Word of God. This subject is never going to be popular in our wicked and adulterous generation. We can hardly open our Bible where the subject of sex and its perversion either lies in the background or is explicitly addressed. This subject is a major theme in the book of Proverbs, and so we must address it both faithfully and fastidiously. Listen to one commentator in the book of Proverbs. He says, The whole of Proverbs chapter 5, the latter half of chapter 6, and all of the seventh relate to once subject, a subject on which Solomon had before merely touched in general terms, it is a subject which admits not in a public assembly of minute illustration, and to which frequent recurrence is not desirable. It is at the same time a subject from which, when I think of the frequency and earnestness of Solomon's warnings respecting it, 
and the amount of real peril to souls which it involves, I should feel myself chargeable with a criminal abandonment of duty were I for a moment to shrink. He goes on to say, It is impossible to read these passages with without sentiments of deep abhorrence of the sins that are there portrayed in their native deformity and mournful results, and without melting compassion for the wretched victims of profligacy and licentious indulgence. In addressing this delicate subject, a preacher is met by two challenges. First, he must be faithful to his hearers, faithful to the word, faithful to his Lord, by preaching the whole counsel of God, since the Bible is not silent on this important subject. Second, a preacher must treat the subject with propriety. Details that may be appropriately presented to a gathering of men at a retreat dedicated to the subject of moral purity would not be appropriate in a mixed gathering on the Lord's Day for public worship. Now it is upon this razor's edge I walk today of being faithful to the truth while being sensitive to modesty. Please pray that that goal would be realized to God's glory and to the edification of us all. Well, last time we considered a loving father's duty to urgently warn his son to avoid sexual sin. This morning, we come to consider a wise son's duty to humbly receive his father's loving warnings. So let me ask you, young men, right from the get-go, are you wise? Well, how do you know if you are wise? I'm not asking if you're wise in your own eyes. You may well be. Or if you're wise according to the reckoning of the world, to which many young men commonly aspire. But are you wise according to the teaching of the Bible? Wise in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of man, not even in your own eyes. Next, let me ask you, are you humble? The Bible teaches that it is the humble that become truly wise. Finally, I must ask, do you fear the Lord? Humility is essential to being wise, but foundational to both humility and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. The wise king urged his sons to fear God that they might be humble and wise. Proverbs 11 and verse 2, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. 
Proverbs 13 and verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Are you wise? Are you humble? Do you fear the Lord? Well, the fact is, we are natively ignorant and bereft of true wisdom because we're born in sin. None of us are born wise or humble or fearing the Lord. Until we are taught to fear the Lord by sovereign saving grace, we live in rebellion against God and against His truth and against those who teach the truth, including our parents. In other words, we must be made wise unto salvation by God if we would live in His fear and humbly receive and obey His word. 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 30, But by His doing, that is, God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So let me ask you, even as we begin, are you truly wise? Do you aspire after wisdom? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you able to honestly echo what Paul says of young Timothy? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. And that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings, or perhaps later on in life, you became a Christian, not when you were young, and maybe not even from your parents. You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Have you been made wise unto salvation? That's the big question. That's the primary question. That is what is essential. That's foundational. Now we're looking at a wise son's duty to humbly receive his loving father's warnings. Look at two points with me this morning. First of all, a son's duty is to receive his loving father's instruction in all things. We're going to be moving from the general to the specific here. Because this teaching on the subject of avoiding sexual sin comes in a wider context of receiving all of your father's teachings, of which this is one, but an important part. Young men, the command that you heed your godly father's warning to steer clear of sexual sin is an important part of your general duty to submit to His authority over you. Your duty in this regard is no different in principle than your duty to obey His commands to not lie or cheat or steal, but to be honest in all of your dealings and in His exhortations for you to love God and obey His commandments. Understand, young people, that is, young women as well as young men, that if you are saved, you will fear God. And if you fear God, you will live in continual and unrepentant. If you're not, you will live in unrepentant and continual rebellion against your father's commands. 
You have to first learn to love the Lord before you'll truly love your parents and to hear His voice before you'll hear theirs. Instead, your father, if you are a true Christian, he will have your heart and he will have your ears. And even when it comes to addressing this delicate subject... Listen to the wise father. Proverbs 23, verses 26 through 27. Give me your heart, my son. You see, if he has your heart, he really has everything. He has you. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. The very next counsel is... For a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Oh, let me urge you, do not be like other young people who despise knowledge because they think that they are wiser than God, and therefore being wiser than God, they're wiser than mom and dad. Even when they speak the word of God, The fathers of such young men don't have their sons' ears because they don't have their sons' hearts. Their unteachableness shows that they don't fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, verses 29 and 30 that we considered a couple of weeks ago. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. See, a young man who is wise, a young man who is humble, a young man who fears the Lord will not be a proud know-it-all. Instead, he owns and he laments his own ignorance. He repents and confesses his outbursts of pride. He will receive his father's instruction because he strives to respect his authority and experience. And if he's a Christian, he will hate sin, even and especially his own sin in this regard. He will say, when he argues with his dad, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? He'll go back and he'll confess his sin to his parents. He'll repent of backtalk to his mom and dad when they teach him right and wrong and he bristled at it. He says, no, they are right. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Oh, that I had heard a message like this when I was the age of many of you seated seated here today. Young man, if you believe your Bible, and if you know your own heart, you know from painful experience that you aren't humble by nature. You're proud. You want to rear back on your hind legs? You want to give your dad a piece of your mind, a piece that you really don't have to give. 
Mark Twain, this is an apocryphal statement because I can't find any writing in which he actually said it, but this sounds very Twainish. He said, you know, when, when, I was, when I was 14 years old, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But you know, it's been seven years, and, and now that I'm 21, you know, the old man has learned a lot in seven years. That certainly had been the case with many of us. We thought we knew better than mom and dad. And then we found out later, you know, I wish I would have listened to him when he said that. Humility is a blessed and obvious fruit of the new birth. And I suggest to you that humility is a grace especially beautiful and noticeable in young men. And for this reason, we are reminded again and again in Proverbs that a son must know God before he will possess a disposition that bows humbly before a father's authority and readily receives his teaching. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. More mighty and marvelous than God's work of original creation is His work in the new creation. God didn't have any opposition when He spoke all things into existence, but in the new creation, He has the opposition of a fallen man's heart. And he overcomes that by regenerating grace. You see, when he regenerates a child of Adam, he subdues his native rebellion and makes him a humble and submissive child of God. Oh yes, with remaining sin and remaining rebellion, but he's fundamentally changed. Not until a young man's soul is conquered by regenerating grace will he see his body as God's property to be used not as he wills and for his pleasure, or what the world says, but to do as the Lord directs and for His glory. You see, only then will He open His ears and His heart to His godly Father's wisdom and embrace it as His own. Take it to Himself. So we see a son's duty is to receive his loving Father's instruction in all things. And more specifically, secondly, a son's duty to receive his loving Father's warning against sexual sin. See, we have to state the general to give a context for when, in which we bring the particular. Your father who loves you and warns you, young man, he wasn't born yesterday. He was once a young man like you are now. He understands the reason for Solomon's warning to his sons to keep from loose women. He's all too aware of both her, her devious devices and her dreadful de destiny. His purpose is clear. Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 18 to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. 
For her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. Those are frightening words, are they not? Her devious devices, consider the devious devices of the loose woman. Her unflattering title, she's called the strange woman, the adulteress. Consider her lawless lifestyle. She's a deserter. She's a covenant breaker. She made a vow before God to be faithful to her husband, and she's not. She has eyes for other men. And notice her spiritual blindness and her moral instability. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Do you want to follow that path? Consider the dreadful destiny of the loose woman in verses 18 and 19. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. This sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? But it's not a movie. It's real. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. It's Groundhog Danhill. That's what it is. No way out. So what does this mean to you practically? First of all, heed your father's warning to avoid sexual sin like the plague that it is. Heed your father's warning to avoid sexual sin like the plague that it is. First of all, heed his warning to carefully consider its evil fruits. Let me ask you, young men and young women, would you be spared a wasted life? A life of family troubles? This is going to get you into nothing but trouble. Social stigma? You're going to be avoided by anybody that has... A, a scintilla of common grace, they're not going to regard you as their close friends. Wrecked health, trips to the doctors, shots, other things. Ruined reputation, destroyed testimony, haunting remorse, Proverbs 5, verses 9 through 14. Soberly ponder Solomon's warning here. Lest you give your vigor, the strength that God has given you to give to your wife, lest you give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest strangers be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods go to the house of an alien... And you groan at your latter end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I have hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. And I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my heart or my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Whoa! 
This person that's making this confession was a member of the covenant community. We would say he was a churchgoer, maybe a church member. How tragic that this lament is voiced by professing Christians. Charles Bridges comments. He says, such is the picture of sin. Its pleasure is but for a season. Its wage is death eternal. Every sin unrepented here will bring its perpetual torment in eternity. Impenitence, that is hard-heartedness, not being repented, does not put away its sorrow. It only delays it to mourn at the last when mercy shall have fled away forever. Chapter 1 in Proverbs 24 through 31. You see, you go down this road living in denial of its evil and its consequences. That's not going to be any escape for you. And nothing will remain but the piercing cry of the accusing conscience. Son, remember. There are no infidels in eternity, but few on a deathbed. Sinner, the path of life is now open to you. Ponder it anxiously, prayerfully. The light of the Word and the teaching of the Spirit guide you to it. So heed your Father's warning to carefully consider its evil fruits. Secondly, heed His warning to resolutely refuse its captivating enticements. This sin is going to hike its skirt and give you the come on. How would you avoid it? Well, Solomon tells us. First of all, stop your ears to her flattering words. She's going to say things that get you excited. Proverbs 6.24. Not all these are in your notes because I didn't have room for them. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Oh, she says some sweet things. Chapter 7 and verse 5, from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. And this word flatter means to be smooth, to be slippery. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, from the lips of an adulteress, or for the lips of an adulteress, drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech. Chapter 7, verses 13 through 20. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens from Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For the man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. She 
She's got everything set in order for him. It's all taken. Come on. Proverbs 30 and verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. No remorse for her evil doing. She defends her sin. I mean, everybody does it. Why are you singling me out? Proverbs 22, 14. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Stop your ears to her flattering words. Secondly, turn your, your gaze away from her captivating beauty. Chapter 6 and verse 35. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her catch you with her eyelids. We see this in, in Jezebel, the ungodly woman. When she heard that Jehu was coming, she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window, no doubt batted those pretty eyes at him and said, What you here for? Don't lock eyes with her. Avert your eyes. See, the way to your heart is through your eyes. And the way to your feet is through your heart. Keep your eyes from her alluring dress. 710. Behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot. I tell you, with, with some women today... Some even in the church to, to tell her from the hooker on the street, their dress, clean. You, you, you see everything. This ought not to be. Not in the church of Jesus Christ. Not amongst the chaste people of God. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed like a harlot and cunning in heart. You see, she's, she's, because she's cunning in heart, she's captivating in dress. She knows what she's doing. That's why Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a maid. Fourthly, keep away from her very presence. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through her street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house. And I'm saying not just avoid her with your feet, avoid her with your fingers, you're clicking on your phone, your computer, whatever. She may not be three-dimensional, she's two-dimensional, she'll still get your heart in trouble. Don't go near her. Suddenly he follows her like an ox, goes to the slaughter as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. Chapter 7 and verse 22. You see, lust is blind. And attractions and sexual sin, they're short-sighted, they're self-serving, and they are self-destructive. If you love your life, don't go near her. Turn your feet from her path. Run like Joseph as fast as you can get away. Fifthly, continually calculate the high cost of indulgence. 
Will you forsake the stewardship of your body and barter the destiny of your eternal soul for a few moments of illicit carnal pleasure? Chapter 6, verses 27 through 35. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Well, the obvious answer is no. You can't walk on coals and not be scorched. You can't play with fire and not get burned. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Who touches, he who touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must pay sevenfold. He must give all, all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. I mean, how many people have been murdered because they were sleeping in someone else's bed? For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be content through many gifts. You can give him everything that you have. He's not going to be satisfied because you violated his wife. Proverbs 7, verses 22 through 27. We saw this. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, etc., etc. He goes like a bird to a snare. He doesn't know it. Many are her victims, numerous are her slain, her house is on the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Her house sinks down to death, her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her will return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. And the New Testament teaches this as well, very selective. Hebrews 13 and verse 4, fornicators and adulterers God will judge. No exception clause there. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, etc., etc., shall enter the kingdom of God. Our Lord spoke very plainly on this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble... Cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God takes this sin very seriously. 
Thirdly, not only heed his warning to carefully consider its evil fruits and refuse its captivating enticements, thirdly, heed his warning to honestly assess your own vulnerability. Know yourself. Pride makes us our own worst enemy. It causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It lies to us. It makes us think that we are impervious to harm. Young people, pride weakens your resolve to be holy. It makes you especially vulnerable to flattery, to hear all these things that are said. Just build you so, so far up you fall down flat on your face. You're being lied to. Your heart is being stolen, you see. Even makes you del- delight in your seduction, allowing another person to steal your heart with their lies. Oh, young ladies, listen up. There are a lot of sweet-talking guys out there. They will steal your heart and they'll bloody your conscience. Proverbs 7.21, with her many persuasions, it's like Potiphar's wife, Again and again, day after day, she's trying to wear down Joseph. She's winking and she's doing all kinds of things to get his attention. And the next thing, he's led like an ox to the slaughter. With her many persuasions, she entices him. And with her flattering lips, she seduces him. So let me ask you, do you wish to be victorious against this sin? then repent of every rising of pride in your heart and pray for God's almighty grace to make you watchful and careful. Say, I know myself. I've gone this way before. I've got myself in trouble again and again and again. God help me. Watch as if on that alone hung the issue of the day. Pray that help may be sent down. Watch and pray. We sing it. Let us live it. Proverbs 16, verses 17 through 19. The way of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. There's a lot of guys out there that talk about their conquests. Far better for you to have said no when they said yes. You'll have a good conscience where theirs will burn before they enter hell if they repent not. So heed your father's warning to avoid this, avoid sexual sin like the plague that it is. Secondly, and before we come to application very briefly, heed your father's loving exhortations to enjoy the blessings of chastity before marriage and sexual faithfulness in marriage. Hebrews 13, verse 4, the part I didn't read. Let marriage be held in honor among all, 
When God created man and woman and he created the sexual relationship to be enjoyed within the context of a covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman, he said, it is good. In fact, he probably stepped back and said, it is very good. It's we that have dirtied it, you see, by our sin. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 20. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind in a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated, literally be carried away with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Concluding applications. I'm including young women here too. Young men and women, if you would avoid this sin above all things, keep your heart. That's why I read Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. You've got, it starts in the heart. Jesus said it begins in the heart. Make a covenant with your eyes. Watch the course of your feet. Put your hands in your pockets. Young men and women, secondly, you can't commit this sin in secret or without consequences. Proverbs 5, verses 21 and following. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He's tying himself up, you see. He will die for lack of instruction. He didn't want to hear it. He walked away from it. He said, don't say it. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. It's not a pretty picture, is it? You see, God sees in the dark. He never sleeps. He keeps perfect books. And he will repay impenitent sinners. The time to repent is now, not later. Heed the command to turn from your sin today. Finally, young men and women, know that there is forgiveness in Christ for those who sincerely repent of this sin. If God should reckon our transgressions, who, O Lord, shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Remember the woman taken in adultery, caught in the act, dragged before her accusers. Jesus said to her, go and what? Sin no more. That's what he says to you, go and sin no more.
Consider David with Bathsheba. David forgave him, but he lived with the consequences of that sin the rest of his life. Oh, I can imagine that he later said, I wished I had been out with my armies when I should have been, and I wasn't loitering around on my rooftop, and I didn't look over that way. Oh, would you be saved from that kind of remorse? Turn from your sin today. And remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. He can say of those profligate Corinthians, such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of our Lord and by His Spirit. Well, may God take the things that we've considered, very sobering things this morning, I admit, but things we need to hear from time to time. And may He write these things on the fleshy table of our hearts with the finger of His omnipotent grace, that good would be done to our souls and glory would redound to His name. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that we are the wise son who has attentive ears, that we would listen to the voice of our Savior, even by the inspired words of the Bible, and by the work of your Spirit in our lives, not just illumining the truth to our hearts, but we pray empowering us by his presence to live in a way that honors you. For indeed, O Lord, you have put in our hearts by your regenerating grace, the Holy Spirit. Help us to live under his authority, by his power. Help us to live in such a way that recommends chastity and faithfulness and fidelity, not just what we say with our lips, but demonstrated by our very lives, that there's a God who makes his people holy. Make us to be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.